Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Well, there are certain times in life when there are defining moments, major turning points in our lives, things that happen that end up in the result is that our lives are never the same again. And the results of those things can be good things or they can be bad things, but we, we've all experienced those things, right? I mean, I, I remember uh, still very clearly to this day, uh, 40 years ago, April 4th, 1975, I opened up my heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. I said, oh God, I need a savior. I believe, Jesus, you died for me. And, Rose, and right now, I, I receive Jesus as my Savior. I'm putting my faith in him to, to save me and forgive me for my sins. I'm accepting his payment. It's the payment for my sins. And true to his word, God saved me on that day. He, he, he forgave every sin I ever would com- had committed or ever would commit. He came to live inside of me. Gave me eternal life. And when this life is over, I have the confidence that like, just like Stan this week passed from here into the presence of God, that's what's going to happen for me. But it changed my life. I mean, I, I know myself. I know my personality. And I tell you, I, I, I got a personality. I think if I didn't come to Christ, I'd have been pursuing uh, power and money, uh, maybe in law, maybe in politics. And, and I have... I'd be addicted to something, and maybe more than one something, just the way I am, okay? But God changed my life. He changed my direction and set me free from all those things that would have destroyed me. And that's such good news. Now, um, other, other times in life, right, that, that, that do that are major shifts for us. I mean, back in um, about 15 years ago when I became the pastor of this church and then there were about two years of crisis after crisis after crisis that almost just beat me down, but God and his faithfulness changed me. Changed me in good ways. In ways that have forever changed how I pursue my relationship with Christ and, and with other people. Well, how many of you remember the time when you came face to face with realizing you needed to trust Jesus as Savior and you did? Do you remember that time? Yeah. And other times in your life, I'm sure as well, these, these crisis points that, that we make decisions, that we either turn to the Lord or we don't. Now, the, the two that I shared here are you know, how God has changed me in, in good directions. Sometimes people make choices that are Take them in another direction. And they look back on major places in their life that were turning points that brought them to ruin in their lives. Well, the same kind of thing happens in the lives of churches. Churches come to places like that where they're faced with a decision and and, and what are we going to do going forward? And, And the decision they make at that point in time affects everything from there on out. 
And we want to read about a story like that today. In the book of Acts, take your Bible with me and turn to the book of Acts. We've, we've been looking in the book of Acts, talking about the church in motion and the idea of, of being moving, doing the things that God wants us to do, being the church God wants us to be. And Acts chapter 15. Now, most of you are probably familiar with it, but some may not. That, you know, as God worked in our world, he, he, he eventually worked and brought together and created this people, the Jewish people, and he gave them his law. And, and for 1,400 years before this time, the Jewish people had had that law of God and had been living by it. It required a man, uh, when he was a child, to be circumcised to be a Jew. And then there were the, the commandments and the, the offerings and all the things that were uniquely Jewish, things that they would not eat, people that they would not hang out with, all of these things that were just, in their minds, totally wrapped up in what it meant to have a relationship with God. Now, they missed the point on a lot of those things. But nonetheless, they, the things that made them distinctively Jewish in their minds were inseparably connected with what it meant to have a relationship with God. So along comes Jesus, good Jewish man, perfect Jewish man, never sins. He's the son of God in human form. And he comes and he says, I am going to fulfill the law. And he does. He lives perfectly by the law when nobody else ever had. And because of that, when he died on the cross... He had no sins of his own to pay for. He had never broken God's commands, not outwardly, not inwardly in his heart, never perfect. He died on the cross paying the penalty for our sins. Rises against from the dead. And, and he says right on the cross, right before he dies, it is finished. He'd done everything that needed to be done to open up a relationship for us with God. Well, can you imagine having been a Jewish person and for all of your life living all of these ways, all these regulations regarding to how you lived your life, what you eat, what you did on what days, what offerings, all of this stuff comes. And, and then Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, the Savior of the world comes. And then all of a sudden, all those things that you thought were so important and had been such a huge part of your life aren't the issue anymore. Now, I don't know if any of us here today are Jewish background and have that, that feeling, but let me tell you, if you came from a church background where there were a lot of rituals you had to do and you grew up with that and you grew up with the smells of candles and incense and, and certain tones of of speaking or singing, and it all felt very religious, and you have a lifetime in that. And then all of a sudden, you come face to face with this issue of, wait a minute, Christ died, his death is sufficient, he has done everything, all I have to do is place my faith in him, and all this other stuff doesn't really matter anymore. Would that be hard for you? I mean, I know that some of you expressed to me that God has so changed your life because you've come to Christ and you are thrilled with that. But the reality is, is that you still find yourself sometimes missing that religious stuff. Yeah, you've talked to me about that. Right? I mean, and I get that because we're human beings and how we, we relate and how we think and how we feel all gets tangled up together with these things. 
So what I'm trying to say is that in the, the new, the, the church, after Jesus came and he, uh, like I said, paid the full price and now they're no longer under the law, have to keep that and try to live by it and to have a, a relationship with God in that way, that was hard for some of them to let go. In fact, some of them did not let go of it. And they really said, well, you know what? Yes, Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Savior. But you have to become Jewish before he can be your Savior. Okay? Now, I guess what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to connect with you to say, we might think that's crazy from where we're at today, but it isn't crazy. This was their life. This was their whole identity that's being shifted and that's being changed on them how they view themselves and how they live and what can be expected. And so what had happened is this Christians had gone out in the world and now they're preaching the gospel to people who aren't Jews. They're the Gentiles. They're preaching the gospel to them. They're getting saved. And then you have this whole uh, really strong Jewish element say, hey, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. They can't do that. They've got to become Jewish. And for a man, that means you've got to get circumcised. They've got to become Jews before they can be saved. And this is the, the context for Acts chapter 15 here. Uh, by the way, if you don't have a Bible with you today, we encourage you to take one from the pew there. And we're going to start on page 1272. 1272. Acts chapter 15. It says here, And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses... You cannot be saved, okay? So that's the, that issue that we were talking about. You've got to become a Jew first. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, okay, so Paul and Barnabas said, no, wait a minute, that's not true. Jesus did it all. So there's a dispute between them. It says they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. Okay, let's go up to those, to the apostles, the ones who were with Jesus while he was on earth and, and the elders who were there and who were a part of this from the very beginning. Let's, let's go up there and let's discuss this issue before them to get an answer to this. Verse three. So being sent on their way by the church. They passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. So they're sharing with all these people what's happening. These Gentiles are getting saved. Verse 4, And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all things that God had done with them. Okay, so they're bringing the good news. Out here in the Gentile world, people are getting saved. They're believing in Jesus. He's forgiving their sins, giving them eternal life. This is happening. Verse 5, But... Some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Okay, so the Pharisees were a religious group that was very, very well versed in what scripture said. The Old Testament said very committed to fleshing those things out in life and, and teaching people how to do that. And it's interesting here that they don't really say, well, no, you got to become a Jew to get saved at this point. They're almost saying, yeah, they did get saved, but now they got to become Jews. See, isn't that what they said, right? They got to get circumcised. They got to live by the law of Moses. Now, what's at stake here? What's at stake? I mean, what's the big deal? Well, it is a huge deal. 
because Jesus Christ finished this line for me. Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. And if Christianity gets moved off in here as being just another part of Judaism, that's all it will ever be. It will no longer be for the whole world. It will get lost as a sect of Judaism. Verse 6, now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And Jeff preached on that a few weeks ago, how that, that Peter came and brought the gospel to Cornelius, who was a Roman centurion, and those who were gathered at the house. These were not Jewish people, but they believed and they got saved. Verse 8. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us, and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. No distinction. We who are Jews, those who are Gentiles, we both got saved the same way. And verse 9. Made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. So Peter says, wait a minute, if God is saving us all the same way, because Jesus died for us, paid the whole penalty, rose again from the dead, and when we receive him as Savior, he forgives us. If that's how we're getting saved, why would we want to put on these people all of these burdens that never worked for us? Peter's being very open and honest at that point in time. Do you know that nobody ever got saved by keeping the rules? Nobody. All, all the rules and regulations that God gave in the Old Testament of the law, nobody ever got saved by keeping those. First of all, they couldn't. We're all sinners by nature when we come into being. We all do our own thing. We all violate God's commands. And Peter's saying, come on, be honest. It never fixed our problem. It made us aware that we had a problem. That's a good thing. It made us aware that we, we couldn't keep the commands we needed. But why are you putting this on them? Because we're saved by grace. Don't put all this stuff on them. Let's continue. Verse 12. Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul, declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. And that was very important to Jewish people because that's how they, they knew that God was doing something, because God was doing miracles. Verse 13. And after they had become silent, James answered. He's, he's kind of the, one of the main leaders here in Jerusalem. He answered, saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon, that's Peter's other name, his more Jewish name. Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. Now he quotes some Old Testament scripture. He says, after this, I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which was fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name says the Lord who does all these things. And so he says, the Old Testament tells us that the Gentiles are going to come to God. 
And, and we're seeing this happen. And, and is it surprising to us? Yeah. We didn't know that it would happen this way, this time. And then he says this, known to God from eternity are all his works, but God knew. Therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God. And this is what I really want us to see today. Therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God. And this word that's translated, the idea of not trouble, means not make it hard for. Don't, don't be annoying to them. Don't be adding things to them that don't need to be added. When he says, trouble them not, some other translations translate this way, that we not make it difficult for them. We should not make it difficult for those who are turning to God. Well, we would never do that, would we? Would we? You guys, you're still there, right? Well, I think the fact is, is that we have, we can, and, and we do. And we need to take this to heart. That we should not make it difficult for people who are turning to God. And, and how do we know who's turning to God? Well, I guarantee you. And by the way, if you're a guest with us today, I'm going to talk a little bit sometimes about guests being with us today. Okay? Uh, but please don't feel put on the spot. It isn't like that. We're thrilled that you're here. We were all guests here at one point in time, right? So, just hear my heart about this. If someone is showing up, then they are in the process of turning to God. They wouldn't be here if God was not at work in their lives. True? Right, so that means that we, if we take this scripture to heart, we need to say, all right, so when guests show up, these are folks who are in the process of turning to God. Either maybe they're turning back to God or turning to God for the first time. They may they don't even understand anything, but they're, they're looking. They're turning to God. We need to consciously think, what would make it difficult for them? Are we doing something that would make it difficult? Are we not doing something that makes it difficult? For them. And, and we need to purpose in our hearts not to do that. And so he says this, we ought not to make it difficult. And the idea is, okay, we're not going to require them to become Jewish. We're not going to require them to start trying to live by all the Jewish regulations. We're not going to do that. All that would do is make it difficult for them as they're turning to God. Not going to do it. Then he goes on, he says, but... That we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. Now, we might say, what? All this? We get sexual immorality. Probably we get that. Okay, they shouldn't be involved in that. But really, all this is, is about stuff that's sort of involved with idol worship. Okay? Worshiping of false gods. And, and he's saying here that we need to tell them not to do that. But we're not going to add all these this Jewish regulations to them. Because uh, the, the Gentile religions, they did uh, involve idol worship. They worshipped uh, their false gods with sexual immorality. It was part of their worship. 
And then the idea of sacrifices that were made. The Jewish people, God had given them uh, uh, regulations about, and actually it went back way before that, even to Noah. But God gave them regulations about making sure that the, the blood from the animals was properly drained for health reasons. Okay? And also to help them to remember that the life of the body is in the blood. And that's going to become a picture because Jesus is going to shed his blood. But anyway, so for the Jews forever, they, the idea of a, an idol was just horrendous to them. Felt it was so offensive to God. And of course, sexual immorality involved with that ought not to be a part of that. And then eating this animal that maybe was strangled. And by being strangled, what? It hasn't been, the blood hasn't been let out. It hasn't been drained. And sometimes... Gentile religions even worship God by the drinking of blood. And all these things would have been so offensive to a Jewish person. Now what would happen if now, let's think here, James is saying, okay, we're not going to hold these things over. We're not going to put that on them. Uh, instead, we're going to say they're free from those things. But look, there are some things that are so offensive to the Jewish people that if they do those things, first of all, they ought not do them. But if they do, if they have anything to do with that stuff, it's going to make it difficult for Jewish people to come to Christ. Same standard, see? We, the Jewish people, ought not be doing things to make it difficult for these Gentiles to come to Christ. So tell them they don't have to do those things. But tell them they also need to be concerned about, wait a minute, what do I do that would make it difficult for someone to come to Christ? And so it's not just the church who has to figure this out. It's the individual people, too. That we ought not make it difficult for people to come to Christ. And this is what he says in verse 21. The reason for this for Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. There's lots of Jewish people out there who need to hear about Jesus, need to hear about their Savior. So live in a way that doesn't make it difficult for them to do that. So what we're really talking about here today is when we start to make application for ourselves and think about what these things are, we start to ask the question, what, what would make it difficult for someone who's turning to God? And I think a way we can think about this is what are obstacles that might be in the way? What, what obstacles could there be with how we do church that, you know, that might be an obstacle for someone? You know, what we do, how we appear, how we're structured, whatever, anything. What are the obstacles? And then we say, okay, since we don't want to make it difficult, we're going to remove those obstacles. This was a turning point in the life of the church. They had to make a decision. And they chose to remove the obstacles. And so we need to do the same. Now, now, what kind of obstacles might there be? Well, let's just let's think back a little ways about some changes that we have made for this very reason. Uh, this was, before this was Life Source Church, this was Temple Baptist Church. And, and it became very clear to us as we talked with people who did not know Christ and we're witnessing to them that that was confusing to them. Temple was confusing. Baptist, they didn't understand. We're still a Baptist church, but they didn't understand what that meant. You had a conversation with them, it wasn't a problem. But just seeing the name, it was a problem. They didn't, you know, that, that's not me. And so we felt that these things were obstacles. And so what did we do? We pursued the Lord on that, spent a year 
on it. Change the name of the church. Now, we talked about when someone drives in on the parking lot to our church for the first time, do they say, wow, what an amazing parking lot. I've never seen one like this before. Well, they might say it that way. But it's not good. But what happens when you go someplace, if you go to a store or a restaurant or someplace and it's not well taken care of? The first impression kind of, can become an obstacle, can it? Okay? And so we said, we've got to do something about this. We've got to step out and begin giving of ourselves to figure out how to, to address that issue. Okay? So we've, we've done that. We're doing that. We, uh, this last spring, we've been talking about this for several years, but this last spring, we, uh, our attendance here was well over 75% of what we are able to handle on a regular basis. Now, in the summertime, we obviously have less people here. But, but statistics show that once you hit that number and you stay at that number, that that becomes an obstacle because it's crowded, the parking lot's too crowded, everything, and, and people who are turning to God, they aren't committed to Christ yet. And sometimes it, it's just too hard and it becomes an obstacle. And so we said we have to remove that obstacle. And so we made a decision to go to two services. Not to mention now we don't have just one hook in the water for our fishing. We've got two hooks in the water for our fishing. We, we, you, know, you think about the things that are obstacles. So someone pulls in the parking lot and, and it's crowded and they're trying to figure out where to park. And so now we, we say, hey, we have people help you find a place. And not only they find a place, hopefully they smile, right? And, and, and they greet people. Hey, good to have you here. Good to see you today, whatever. We're trying to remove any obstacles. How many of you remember going to a church for the very first time and being really nervous about it? Any of you? Yeah, a bunch of you, okay? And so that's an obstacle for people. It makes it hard for them to pay attention and be open. So we're, we want to greet people and be friendly, and try to remove that obstacle, help them to feel, hey, this is okay place to be. We, we have a greeting time during the worship service. And, and by the way, you have a choice of this. I know some of you don't feel real comfortable with that. Okay? But, you know, you have a choice every time that we do that. You can say, you know what? I am going to waste this time. I'm just going to stand here because I think it's a stupid thing to do. Or you can say, you know what? Maybe I wouldn't choose to do it this way, but I have an opportunity right now. For the next 30 seconds or a minute, I have an opportunity to make sure that everybody around me experiences someone communicating the love of God to them, and that you're valuable and that you matter. And I'm going to look around and see uh, some of those people who are maybe new to us who don't have a lot of friends, and, and I'm going to make sure that, that they're greeted. So I mean, but we, we remove those obstacles. And we can go on down the list and think about these things that we need to do, obstacles that we either have removed or are working on removing or may still need to remove. Um, and there are things even in how we do things at church that we need to address and think of. Okay, so this is how we do what we do. All these other things are more externals. But how we do worship, how we do preaching. Uh, in the New Testament, God had given special spiritual gifts to be used as the church was being founded, as the scriptures were being written. And, and one of those spiritual gifts was the ability for some people to be able to speak in languages they had not learned. Okay? To, to help get the gospel out. But as much as anything, it was also a sign 
to Jewish people who had not yet come to Christ because in the Old Testament, God told the Jewish people, when you hear someone speaking a language you do not understand in your land, that's me judging you because it's the idea of the enemy coming in. See? So judgment and opening up their hearts. Wait, God is doing something here. So God had given that gift. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, page 1322. 1,322 in the Bible that they're in the pew. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And so, so people would use these, what we would call spiritual gifts, and, and some of those were, were speaking language they had not learned, and God would use that sometimes with interpretation to communicate certain things. But you know what? That's a pretty flashy gift. If all of a sudden I could speak to you in a language I never learned, would that be a, kind of a whoa? Okay, so see, that gets a lot of attention, and it became a problem in the church in Corinth became a big problem. And everybody had to speak in tongues. Even those who didn't really have the gift had to figure out how to do something to speak in tongues. And so all of this is going on. And then we get here in chapter four, well, yeah, chapter 14. Let's look in verse 18. He says, Paul says, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. I speak those languages, the supernatural languages God has given me. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also then 10,000 words in a tongue. So what does Paul say is really important when the church meets? That people can what? Understand. Now he's talking about tongues. We're going to talk about what we do. Let's jump down to verse number 23. He says, Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed... Or unbelievers, people who don't know what's going on, don't have a relationship with Jesus yet. He says, will they not say that you are out of your mind? Another way to translate this words is, won't they think that you're insane? But if all prophesy. Now, this prophesying is the idea of speaking God's truth clearly and pointedly. Saying, here's, here's what God says. And so he's saying that if anybody, everybody, anyone who's speaking in church, if they will prophesy, if they will speak clearly the truth of God, and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all. He is convicted by all. And thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. He's saying that, that what we do in church needs to be understandable to the people who come in. It, it needs to be. And we need to figure out how to do that. Because when it's understandable, then they can get it and they can turn to God. So we think about that and we think about it in our music. How, what do we do for music and how do we do music? And what's, you know, what keep, makes that music understandable and people able to connect and get it? What, what about the preaching? When we preach, how do we do it? How are we set up up here in front? We've changed how we do that to, to be able to try to communicate and connect as clearly and as understandably as possible. And when we talk about, uh, we, we try not to use just religious terms, but if there's a good Bible term that people understand, we try to explain what it means. We're trying to be very user-friendly to people who are turning to God. See, we're trying to remove obstacles. Now, what, what if you say, well, what about us? 
What about us people who've been Christians for a long time? What about us? We like to do it that way. We grew up doing it that way. We love that. We love that kind of song. We love that kind of preaching. We love whatever. That's what these Jewish people were saying. I'm going to say something here that, that at first thought you might go, wait a minute. And I've heard another preacher say it recently. Um, this, that the church is not for Christians. The church is not for Christians. Now, you say, wait a minute, I thought the church was for Christians. No, the church is Christians. Right? The body of Christ is Christians. But who is the church for? The church is for God. The church is for the Lord Jesus Christ. And he sent us, the church, on a mission. To proclaim his name and his salvation. That people might know him. Have their sins forgiven. Have eternal life and be changed to be like him. All right? So the church is not for us. The church is about honoring God by faithfully carrying out his mission. And when the Jerusalem church had to deal with that, they finally said, what are we doing? We should not make it difficult for those who are coming to God. And that's part of our mission, isn't it? To, to bring people to God. So we shouldn't make it difficult. So we need to consciously think, how do we remove obstacles? Now, that's as a church, okay? And, and we get this. But you understand that this... Ultimately, all of those changes that we talked about don't, don't save anybody, do they? Whether we have parking lot attendants or not doesn't save anybody. They can be obstacles to people, but they don't save anybody. So there are some obstacles that only God can remove. So we, we want to remember that. Some obstacles only God can remove. Only God can change a heart. Only God can free someone from deception. Only God can help people get free from this hurt that has affected them so badly that they can't, they aren't even open. Whatever, all of those kinds of hard things, only God can do. And he will do them. But what I want you to know is he wants to use us to help do that. And so he has given us some things to use as we help people who are turning to God. He has given us uh, the word of God. Go ahead and go to that next slide if you would. He's given us the word of God. And, and the word of God, as we open this book on our own for ourselves and as we preach and teach, and we start to see the world the way it really is. And when we see the world the way it really is, when we're interacting with people, what do we have to share with them? Truth. Help them see what's really going on, the truth. All right? We also have prayer. And prayer, we, I don't understand it all, but God says, if you will pray and you will ask me to work in these ways, the ways that I've said things I want to do, I will do it. And so we pray, and ultimately it changes, God changes someone's heart and works in their lives. We can pray, and it makes a huge, huge difference. Uh, then we have the gospel. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel message, telling people that they, that they need to know Christ because they've sinned, and Jesus died for them and rose again, that the gospel has a way of stirring people up and opening them up to God. That's how I got saved. And guess what? That's how you got saved. That's what Peter said. We all got saved the same way. The gospel is powerful. 
And so he's given us the gospel to share with people. He's called us to be salt and light in the world. And yes, I know salt is sometimes used as a preservative in the, in the, the Bible days. But Paul says that when you're talking to someone, he says, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt. Seasoned. Learning how to say things that make the truth desirable. Being light that people can see. Salt and light, how you live your life. Live your life as a Christian. And then he said, if you will follow my Holy Spirit, if you'll walk in the Spirit and, and follow the promptings that I give you, if I, if I put in your heart, man, I, you, you need to speak now, do it, speak. If the Holy Spirit says, I think you need to go over here. And you, you just had a sense, I think I need to go over here and talk to someone I don't know. If you'll do it, instead of keep saying, oh, I don't know if it's God or not. And by the way, if you aren't in the Word, it's hard to know when the Spirit's speaking. So, but He's given us, He will use us to, to help reach people with these things. Now, what I want you to think about is just this. When you and I do not take these things seriously, and they're not a part of our life, we make it difficult for those around us to turn to the Lord. And we should not do that. We shouldn't do that. We need to think not just our church, but me. What am I doing that's making it hard for someone to turn to Christ? And if I'm not witnessing to them, it makes it real hard for them to turn to Christ. So what, what obstacles you know, are in my own life? And so the Apostle Paul talked about making these changes. And, and he said, if you go to that next slide, if you would there, John. He says, for though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant all that I might win the more. This I do for the gospel's sake. And this is where he talks about, hey, the Jewish people, I, I interact with them, you know, in a way that's not offensive to Jewish people and to, to people who are under the law. I, you know, I, I interact with them in a way that they, you know, it's not a problem. I, those who are weak and on and on he goes. He says that I might reach people. We need to be willing to, to change our lives. Are you willing to change your life to reach someone for Christ? Are you? So we read the scripture. We should not make it difficult for those who are turning to God. Go to that next slide if you would. I want you to think. Jesus Christ, has God removed any obstacles for us to be saved? He absolutely has. Jesus, could have, the Son of God, could have stayed in heaven and said, forget it, figure it out on your own. But he knew there were obstacles. And so it says, he who was rich became poor, came down to earth and lived with us, that we who are so poor might become rich in him. Jesus has led the way in doing whatever it took to remove the obstacles. That's what we need to do. As a church, we need to keep doing it. We need to get on board with that. We need to understand why we're doing it. And, and we're going to keep doing our best to help people who are turning to God, not putting difficulties in their way. And then probably even bigger, it's you and me in our own lives realizing how am I living Am I living in a way that's making it easy for people to turn to God? Or am I living in ways that really are obstacles for them? Let's pray.
Father, I come before you now and thank you for your word, that you speak to it about such practical things. I thank you especially, Father, that you opened the door for us to have a relationship with you by sending your son, that you removed every obstacle between us and you and provided a way for us to be, have our sins forgiven and receive eternal life, to be saved as you say it in the Bible. I pray, Father, that we will give our hearts over to this, to, to remove difficulties, to continue to remove difficulties as we see them, to remove the obstacles. And Lord, I pray, especially as we go from here today in our own lives, we would think about how do I live today and tomorrow and the next day? And is it, do I live in a way that makes it easy for people to come to know Christ? Or do I live my life in ways that make it hard? And I pray we'll change, Father. Show us what we need to change, I pray that we will change. And I pray these things in Jesus' name.